Welcome back to the Traders Point Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. Each week, we open up the Bible for just a few minutes and discuss God's Word together. We discuss its meaning and the ways in which we can apply it in our walk as followers of Christ. If you'd like more information about the Traders Point Church of Christ, you can visit our website at traderspointchurch.org, and you can follow us on Facebook and YouTube as well. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please take just a second to do that so you can stay up to date on all of the content that's put out on this channel. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy today's conversation. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. We want to thank everyone for joining us today. We're continuing our study through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 7 today. So if you're just joining us, you might want to go back and take a listen to the first six episodes as we've kind of methodically been working our way through Mark's account of Jesus's life. And we've talked several times over the course of this study how um, Mark's gospel moves pretty quickly. He hits on a lot of the highlights of Jesus's ministry, but he does so in, in pretty quick succession. And we're going to continue to see a bit of that today, although I would say that in Mark chapter 7, which is where we'll be today, uh, we do get a few of details as to where Jesus is and and how his travels are going, and he spends a little bit more time on, on two pers- two specific interactions that Jesus has today that we'll talk about. Before we get into that, Jeremy, the first six chapters, what do we, what do people need to know so that they're ready to dive into chapter seven today? Well, I think uh, what stands out, and one thing we've talked a lot about is. Um, Jesus has got a lot going on. I mean, a yeah. lot going on. It, not just in his teaching, um, certainly is the case. Uh, Mark has made mention of, of several specific you know, pieces of teaching that Jesus has shared. And he'll do that again here at the beginning of chapter 7. I mean, really the mm-hmm. big first half of the chapter is a specific teaching on, on a subject from Jesus, so we'll talk about that. But there's really been a lot of uh, of pictures of Jesus and his power, uh, miracles that he had performed, all, all kinds of things, demon possession, uh, and, and which we'll talk about today, healing people, which he does as well in this chapter, but uh, raising people from the dead, um, which mm-hmm. we've seen recently, uh, the power he's had over the elements, which we have seen recently. And so we continue to see this incredible picture that Mark is painting uh, of Jesus and his compassion, I think, for people, yeah. and his willingness to set aside his own uh, comfort, uh, his own ease uh, and convenience of movement even. Mm-hmm. He's willing to set all of that aside uh, because of his compassion for people, even the one person, you know, that we've seen. And, you know, you, 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 get, a little bit, you get a little bit of that, you know, even in this, that it was so uh, intense around him on one moment. Uh, that you just it seemed to have this one lady that just simply wouldn't wouldn't go away, and he mm-hmm. just heals not even being around <laughs> you know this woman, and yeah. certainly we'll talk about that, but I think that's really what stands out is you know Mark painting that picture, but yet at the same time Jesus still making the time for others mm-hmm. and certainly that's his focus uh in every way of being on earth, yeah, and the the group that continues to try to pull his focus away from the ones that Jesus came to uh, talk to and to teach and to help are the Pharisees. And we see them make an appearance here at the beginning of chapter 7. We're, we're told at the at the end of chapter 6 that uh, they had crossed over, Jesus and his disciples had crossed over to the land of Gennesaret. 
And in the beginning of chapter 7, we see that there are some Pharisees from Jerusalem that have gone up or essentially following Jesus, not necessarily because they're interested in what he has to say, not necessarily because they have sincere hearts who, who want to hear from the Messiah, but because they're interested in tripping him up, they're interested in finding fault with him, and that's what we see them trying to do at the beginning of chapter 7. And what's interesting is this gives us a bit of an indication of just how big of a deal Jesus has become to the Pharisees. You know, I, I did some quick map work, and Gennesaret's about 75, 80 miles from Jerusalem. When you think about the, the way in which they traveled back then, that's not a short trip. They, they are going out of their way from Jerusalem up into the area of Galilee to, to follow Jesus, to, to watch him, to try and discredit him in any way that they can. That just tells you how much of their attention Jesus is occupying at this point in time. As much as we have seen, and we've even talked about how when Jesus performs some of these miracles, he even says, hey, don't, don't go telling everybody about what I've done. He, word's out. You know, <laughs> right. Word has spread throughout the entire region about Jesus, about who he's claiming to be, about what he's doing, so much so that it has risen high in the ranks of the Pharisees, and they are now concerned about this guy. And so they are traveling long distances to keep an eye on him and to try and discredit him, and that's really what they're doing here at the beginning of chapter 7. Yeah, and they're looking for even the smallest of things. I mean, we've talked about that already in specific uh, teaching around uh, Jesus and the Sabbath, you know that, you know that they, they were they had an eye on him on the Sabbath yeah. day, and even the smallest of things they were exploding over, yeah. and, and that's really what chapter seven is. I mean, what they explode over <laughs> here is the most ridiculous of things. Now, I, I guess it is easy for us to look at it, you know, because our culture is so very different. But it, almost Jesus approaches it that way, that, you know, it almost comes across as this is, this is the stand that you're, you're going to take. Right. You're going you're gonna to take a stand on this. And, and, you know, and they're basically saying, yes, we yeah. are going to take a stand on this. And, and Jesus is willing to, you know, engage with them in a pretty lengthy discussion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, certainly taking the specific thing, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but really morphing it into mm-hmm. the more deeper teaching that he is so well-equipped to do, where he's able to take kind of this little silly thing mm-hmm. and really dig to the very heart of the issue or problem. Yeah, I mean, the, the issue that they that they rise or, or bring up to Jesus at this time is the washing of hands prior to eating. And it's not just washing hands. We, we tend to wash our hands before we eat today. It's good hygiene, etc. It's not just that. They had a very specific way in which they were to wash prior to eating. It was a ritual of sorts, it, both with how they washed prior to eating, how they washed the dishes that were used <laughs> to prepare mm-hmm. the food and to eat off of. It was ritualistic, and, and it wasn't just the, hey, that's good hygiene that we tend to, to exercise today. They had turned this into a matter of righteousness. Right. It it was it had risen even above as Jesus is going to bring to the forefront. It had risen above the commands of the law. That's how important the Pharisees saw this, and the the hypocrisy of all of this was almost comical. I think when it certainly is as I'm reading it, like it's like sure. to your point. I mean, this is the hill you're going to die on. This isn't even a part of God's law. 
and yet it has risen to that level because they have turned this custom, this ritual, and they are now putting it on the same playing field as the commands of God that lead to righteousness. And and so this is something that Jesus, to your point, as much as some of these interactions with the Pharisees have to just be so draining to him, this gives him, again, a great teaching opportunity that while the specifics of this interaction are, are very much connected to the Jews and to their customs of the day, I think there's a lot of really good application that we can pull out of this as we think about what it is that truly defiles us. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out, and that's what Jesus is trying to get across to them. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, even the the phrases that he uses, I mean, he he, he gets down to the center of it very, very quickly. And, and I think as he's, you know, he has a few things to say that they wouldn't have loved hearing it worded this way. They would certainly have disagreed. But yet Jesus points out the reality of the situation, that you're taking these traditions. Here's one specific one of the the washing of your hands or the washing of the copper, the basins, you know, used for cooking. And, uh, you know, listen, Matthew's gospel, he'll go into even more uh, specifics of some other, you know, traditions that they have. But the key was these were being elevated, these traditions of the Pharisees, elevated over the commandments of God, that if you're going to keep any of them, you need to keep these traditions. And they were almost watching more closely on those. And so Jesus calls them out on it. There there are three phrases that really stand out to me, you know, from Jesus that is exactly where their reality is. Now, they would have disagreed with them, but there's simply nothing to disagree about. So he says in verse 8, You've laid aside the commandment of God, and you hold the tradition of men. I mean, that's pretty brutal. You've laid aside the commandment of God. And, and, you know, in verse 9, too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. And then he says there in verse 13, you make the word of God of no effect through your tradition. And so, I mean, he really gets down to it, Mm -hmm. you know, that they would have disagreed with that. Yep. But yet it is the reality, and Jesus calls them out on it, that you have elevated yourself, in essence, you've elevated yourselves above even God. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Jesus you know, points out how ridiculous that really is. Yeah, there are traditions, I think, even still today that we have to be careful with, that we don't do the very same thing with. You know, Jesus, he's not making a point about hygiene No. Here. In the same way, we, we talked, you know, we did a series a, a while back on the Sermon on the Mount, and, you know, Jesus uses um, divorce, and Jesus uses anger and death and murder, and Jesus uses some of these things to make broader points about the heart. Well, he, he's not setting out to make some legal statement about those issues. He's, he's drawing our attention to the heart. The same is true here. He's not talking about, he's not making a point about hygiene. Mm-mm. In fact, he's using this as an example to make application to the heart, and that's what this is all about. And he makes the point, as you've pointed out, listen, you guys you guys have taken some of these customs and you have bound them on these people in a way that is, is not right. It's, it's not what God has ever intended to be done. And I think we have to be careful about that today when we look around you know, our, our churches and the way in which we conduct ourselves, there are some areas in which we have to be careful that we aren't taking tradition, that we aren't taking something that man has set forth, 
and raising it to the level of God's law. And that's something that, that all, people of all time have had to be careful about because we tend to hold very tightly to certain traditions and we have to be constantly reevaluating some of those things. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything in and of themselves that's wrong with those traditions. We just have to make sure that they have their proper place. And that place is not on a level playing field with the law of God. And that's really where Jesus sees the issue here with the Pharisees. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you don't get out of here where he's like, Ever saying, don't do that. Don't mm-hmm. wash your hands. Right. Don't wash the things. So, you know, he he bypasses that really almost entirely, and really settles on is. You're right. You've got to know the difference in these two things. Mm-hmm. That there is something very very different with the traditions of man and what you prefer over what God has commanded. Right. Now, those are two very different things. But yeah, they have elevated not just I think on an even playing field, maybe even above. Yeah, true. You know the commandments of God, and you're right, Jesus. Says, is we, we've got to we've got to back up off of all of that, and, and he's trying to get back. I mean, that's a big part of what Jesus is teaching. You know, certainly is 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 getting away from the physical aspects of religion and into what God has always intended it to be: inward aspects of religion. Everything pulling from the heart. That's why he you know he draws directly from Isaiah and the point that's made a long time ago from right here with Jesus, that same point, that God is not interested in that outward. He's never been interested in that. He's always been interested in the heart. But the Pharisees now, they have built a religion over uh, around the outside. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, I mean, he hammers the hypocrisy of that right here in Mark's gospel, but throughout all of the gospels. I don't know if Jesus hammers anything harder than the hypocrisies of the Pharisees the hypocrisy of the Pharisees on this one point. Yeah, he, he makes the point down there in, in verses 20, 21, 22, that what proceeds out of a man is that which defiles him. And he gives some examples. He talks about uh, evil thoughts and adultery and fornication, murder, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, and so on. Things that probably the Pharisees and others as well uh, oftentimes didn't have as much of a problem with as they did with people not washing their hands properly before eating. Right. And Jesus is making the point that it's these things that make you unclean. It's it's these things that defile you. You guys are so focused on what you're taking in. You don't want to get germs that go into your body. And, you know, again, not making any hygienic points here, but you're so focused on that, you're not paying any attention to what's coming out. And what's coming out is what defiles you. What's coming out is making you unrighteous. Those are the things that you have to be careful about. And, and so he's trying to, again, as you were pointing out, and he's changing the perception and how people think about these things. Quit thinking so much about you know, the, the garments that you're wearing. Quit thinking so much about how you're washing your hands before you eat. And instead, think about how you're treating your brother. Instead, think about what thoughts are emanating from your mind. Think about how you're talking to one another. Those are the things you need to be focused on because those are indicators of what's on the inside. And that's where Jesus is trying to draw their attention to. And it's it's a battle he's going to fight throughout his entire ministry. It's a battle we're still fighting with ourselves and with others today, too. Well, it's hard. I mean, changing perception or perspective is a difficult thing, yeah. I mean, shifting it that way. And that, that's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to 
shift the perspective from the physical. I mean, even the apostles themselves struggled with this big time. Yeah. And you're right. It continues to be a struggle that we have even today, that that pull on looking the part on the outside becomes more important than being the part on the inside. And this piece of teaching here, I mean, really gets to the... You know, no pun intended, the heart of the matter, and it, it it most certainly is the heart. Yeah, when he shifts his focus there in verse number 24 a little bit as he, he kind of leaves the, the Pharisees behind and leaves that group behind, and we're told that he, he then went into the region of Tyre and Sidon, which, so now he, he's actually moving out of the Galilee region a little bit further north and to the coast, and he's going into these cities that there's a lot of there's a lot of history around Tyre and Sidon, none of which is really good. Uh, the prophets of old, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they both prophesy harshly uh, against the wickedness that has taken place in Tyre and Sidon. And uh, in Matthew, even as Jesus is talking, he he even connects Tyre and Sidon and some of the things that is going on in these cities with a city like Sodom. And so there's a lot of wickedness that has historically taken place in these cities, and it's historically areas that would have been home to Gentiles more so than to Jews. And so Jesus goes into this region, and he has an interaction here with a Gentile woman. And it's a really fascinating interaction, the way that Jesus talks to her and her seemingly ability to understand what he's saying. He uses a, there's an it's an interesting metaphor that is used here, and I think that creates some challenges around what he's saying. Uh, but there's some really important teaching that's taking place here, and this woman's response to what Jesus says, I think, gives us some indication into what he's really trying to say. Yeah, I mean, it, it's you know one other quick thing on I think it is super significant that this woman is a Greek, is a Gentile, yes, no question, and. Um, you know, you know, you see this even the issues like in John, you know, four when Jesus is dealing with the Samaritan woman, how out of you know people are blown away by that. Who has some Jew, you know, within her? Mm-hmm. This is completely outside the box, yeah. and, and that's what he, you know, he would do that. And you know, and boy, he got a lot of Pharisee flack for this, you know, for this interaction. So it's not just that. You know, he runs into a woman like this, as you made the point, in Jerusalem. Right. He goes to where they are. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, this would have been so outside of a Jewish leader or Jewish teacher. They would never have done something like this. Yeah. But, yeah, that's what Jesus is. He's always doing something different in, in a lot of ways. And they do have this intera- you know, interesting you know, interaction. It, it's kind of, you know, verse 27, you read that and you're like, ah, I don't really get, you know, a lot of what that says. I, I think 29 helps us yeah. maybe that, you know, it, it was a saying that would been regularly used at this time. But, you know, the, you know, the point mm-hmm. I, I think is being made that, listen, he, he's not here just, it, it's not just that he's there to help Jews only. He's mm-hmm. there to help, you know, everybody. And yep. I think she gets that yep. in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, and we get another example of his incredible power, of casting out this demon uh, being nowhere near ultimately where this where this poor girl was. Yeah, th- this woman is asking to have this demon cast out of her daughter. And, and Jesus says there at verse 27 in response to that, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. 
And, and so when Jesus says that, that doesn't necessarily directly answer her question about having this demon cast out of her daughter. But I think what Jesus is saying here, the, the, the Jews would often refer to Gentiles as dogs, right? The Jews, they, they had a little bit of a superiority complex about them because they were God's chosen people. God had chosen them from long ago. They were God's people. And the plan all along from God himself had been that the gospel would be taken to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. That's how God had planned it. And so Jesus is using some of the language that the Jews have used, the Gentiles would understand, to make the point to this woman that, listen, the Jews are to be fed first. Right. That is the way that God has intended this to work. The Jews are going to receive the gospel first. But the point that he makes here is that don't worry because there will still be plenty left for you. And you too are going to be filled in this process. And so it's almost as if, you know, I, I was thinking about this as I was, I was reading it. You know, if we had been invited to the biggest and best dinner ever served. You know, I mean, it was the fanciest food, the most wonderful food we'd ever consume. But I was second in line. Well, that means that you would get to go first. But guess what? I still get to eat the best dinner that's ever been prepared and ever been served. Right. I'm not going to complain about that. And that's what Jesus is trying to help her see, is that there is a process to this. And you're not first in line, but that doesn't mean that there won't be plenty for you as well. You too are going to be filled by this. And this woman, obviously, in the way that she responds, I think she understands what Jesus is saying, and she's encouraged by what he says, and that is really what demonstrates her faith. Yeah, and then, you know, I think Jesus bears witness to the truth of his statement by casting out the yeah. demon. And I think that shows his sincerity and truthfulness. And, and you know, and, and with that, uh, with that, you know, the casting out of that demon, even as we've made mention, not being, not being near this woman, she goes right. home and she finds her daughter and that demon has been cast out. Yeah. So the last interaction that we see here in chapter seven, before we wrap things up is another example of Jesus's power to heal as he, he interacts with another individual here who is who is deaf and you know mute or has some type of speech impediment of some sort, and Jesus again demonstrates his power to heal him in this situation. Again, just the uh, the amazing ability of Jesus to continually turn his his focus to the individual, continue to demonstrate his compassion towards people as he heals them, and again we get that command that Jesus has given on a couple of instances there in verse number 36 after doing this hey don't tell anybody and then what's the first thing they do tell they go tell everybody right <laughs> so we continue to see this being a theme as Jesus is in some ways trying to to insulate uh, himself and and kind of protect his ability to move about and continually the word just spreads and spreads and spreads as it would in situations like this. But it's almost, at this point, we've seen it so many times, it's almost kind of funny because he says this, and then the first thing everybody does is go tell everybody they know. Yeah. You know, one other just final thing about you know this story. I, I think what's interesting is Mark continues to point out that in, in situations like this, you have this man who couldn't hear anything and had a speech 
uh, impediment. And so you have, you know, there in verse 35 that immediately, Mark wants us to know that immediately— there's no, there's nothing to learn, right? You don't have to learn how right. to hear or yeah. learn now how to speak or yeah. learn how to walk, even if you've never walked before. Mm-hmm. If you're healed by Jesus, you don't have to learn that. That immediately he was able to hear, and as Mark points out, he's able to speak and to do so plainly. Yeah. And, and I think that points to you know the overwhelming power you know that Jesus has. That it's not that hey now you have the capacity to hear or speak. Go learn how to do that. Right. They are now immediately uh, able to do those things. We'll go ahead and stop there for the day. We'll dive into chapter 8 next week as we continue our study through Mark, and we hope you can join us then.